0: Good evening. It's Good to be with you this evening. Uh, I think some. Of, I know some of you uh, here, but maybe some of you don't know me very well. So, I. My name is Sheldon Kilmer. I'm a pastor at Living Water in Reinholds, and uh, my wife and four daughters are not with me this evening. They uh, were. They go to Lichty's usually for their uh, Winter Bible School, which is about five minutes from our house. So, uh, that's what that's what usually keeps them busy on Wednesday evening So. Uh, It's good to be here this evening. And I think the, I would like to commend the Winder Bible School Committee for this title. I think it's a very, uh, a title that kind of grabs your attention, has kind of a double meaning as it says, humility in a selfie world. And, you know, that's, there's different things we could look at. Of course, we all know about a selfie and what that is. But the the thing of humility is something that is very much missing and in lack in our world today. And, Just to start out, I'd like to read 2 Timothy 3 and 3 verses 1 to 4, 1 to 5. It says, it's talking about the last days here. It says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. It's quite a list of sins listed there, and what stands out is the first sin that's listed there is that men shall be lovers of their own selves. And I think almost all of those things that follow are, by definition, have their root in somebody that's proud or a lover of their own selves. And so Certainly, uh, a lot of the root of sin is pride, and we certainly are faced with that in our world today. It's not like that's a new struggle, but maybe more than any time, we're tempted to promote ourselves and feel like our opinions need to be given uh, at any point. And uh, blogger Tim Chalius, he wrote this uh, paragraph here from an article that was, I think it was called Humility in Social Media, so very much the same idea, and I thought he had some good thoughts in there, but... One thing, just to, I thought this was a good introduction to the subject. He said, this is a direct quote from him, Social media has been deliberately designed to take advantage of our weakness more than our strengths, to reward pride more than humility. It fosters quick skimming more than deep reading, impulsiveness more than thoughtfulness, indignation more than wisdom. Solomon asks, Do you see who a man, a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. But Facebook prompts every user at every moment, what's on your mind? Solomon warns that when words are many, transgression is not lacking. But Twitter suggests at all times and all occasions, tweet your reply. Solomon says the wise will inherit honor, but on most social media platforms, it is the boastful and combative, the ungracious and lascivious who are seen and heard, who are honored and followed. The one who rules his spirit may be better than he who takes a city, advice so easily becomes virtue on platforms that reward outrage more than self-control, harshness more than kindness, and arrogance more than meekness. And I thought I couldn't have, I couldn't have said that uh, nearly that well myself, and I think that's a good introduction to the topic this evening. I don't need to spend a lot of time explaining what a selfie is. Everybody here I'm sure knows what that is already. It's a front-facing camera on your cell phone, that allows you to take pictures of yourself and there's nothing wrong with a selfie or taking a picture of yourself. Um, It is a modern invention. I don't think 20, 25 years ago, we used the word selfie uh, in any way, but uh, it's become very common to use that and to to see people taking pictures of themselves in especially in tourist attractions or in places where they wanna be seen or concerts or things like that. Uh, It can be lots of different ways that's used, but the, the idea, that as we're looking at it tonight, is thinking more of the challenge of facing self in, instead of humility for the Christian. And so we know that the selfie world began a long time before the selfie was invented, uh, back when man first sinned in the garden, is when this whole struggle between self and humility started. And a person who is self-absorbed is a person that we call a narcissist, and that's kind of the, the opposite of a person who's humble, is a person who's a narcissist. That word comes from Greek mythology, and it comes from the the Greek myth about a man named Narcissus, who was a hunter, and he was known for being very handsome, and and also being very uh, impressed with his own handsomeness. I guess you could say he he uh, it says that he was re- he rejected all romantic advances because he was so in love with himself, and so finally another one of the gods, a god with a small g. Uh, cursed him by making him look into a pool of water and when he saw his own reflection in the water he was so amazed by how good looking he was that he just kept staring into the water uh, for eternity I think is how the story goes and so the root that's the root word of, of narcissist and the symptoms of a narcissist are a person that's very boastful uh, pretends to be superior to other people lacks empathy for others looks down on others as inferior monopolizes conversations is impatient, angry, unhappy, and depressed, or has mood swings when criticized, and has a very fragile self-esteem. And I don't know if you know people like that. I'm sure all of us have some of those tendencies in our lives that we all battle with and in trying to be people of humility. Those things are kind of the opposite of that. But a person that's a narcissist is not a person that most of us like to be around. They like to be around themselves pretty well, but it's often people that are around them, it's not really a two-way street. And the book of Proverbs is kind of what I would like to base most of our scripture from this evening as we look at this. There's, there's plenty of teaching on this subject in the Bible, but Proverbs uh, talks about a lot of the aspects that we're going to be talking about this evening throughout the book. But let's start in the beginning of Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 1, and just read the first seven verses there as an introduction to the subject. So if you want to turn to your Bibles, if you have them, to Proverbs 1, read verses 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand the proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And in these verses here, you can see, I think, four points that come out as you look at these verses, and that they're kind of a definition of what humility is. And number one, I would say honesty or authenticity is a definition of humility. Number two, it's wisdom to perceive understanding, which is discernment. Number three, it's a teachable spirit, which is somebody that's willing to receive instruction. And number four, it's listening. A wise man will hear and will listen. And mostly, what we'll be talking about this evening is humility in relation to our to our speech and our conduct. In that way, to our communication, uh, humility can come out in lots of different ways. But that's a that's mostly what we'll be focusing on this evening, is in in our talk and our speech, and in our conduct on on social media. But also outside of social media, probably a lot of you are not heavily into social media, I think when I talk to, to most Mennonite churches, I, I imagine most of the people in the audience are probably not people that are always posting on Facebook and Instagram, um, but even if you're not, all these things relate to you just as much whether you're on social media or whether you're not. Uh, they're, they're about how we conduct our lives, whether we're on the internet or whether we're in real life, it doesn't really matter. Uh, they're, they're something that affects us all. So I don't want people to, I don't want you to zone out if you're not on social media. Uh, this this whole subject applies equally whether you're on social media or whether you're not. And we all know that there's not a separate set of rules that, on how we live online and how we live our real lives. So if, we're, if we want to be people of humility and not people that are narcissists, we need to make sure that our whole life is filled with a spirit of humility. And we can't say that humility is a virtue in real life and then go online and act differently, or say that, profess that, and talk to people in ways that are, that are arrogant or proud. And the first, subje- the first uh, point there I'd like to look at is humility in our lifestyles and in our conduct, which is honesty. One of the symptoms of a narcissist is somebody that's overly boastful and exaggerates one's achievements or pretends to be superior to others. And we know that if we're talking about, if we call our, our world today the selfie world, It's a world that is obsessed with creating an image of ourselves that is often based at the root of on dishonesty and pride and materialism. And let's turn to the end of Proverbs now, to Proverbs 30, and just look at one example here that's written. This is actually, I don't think Solomon that wrote this. It says, observations of Agar. And I'd just like to look at three verses in Proverbs 30, verses 7 to 9. Now, Agar here... He asked God for two things. He, I don't know, God didn't say you can have two things, but Agar is asking God for two things. And if you had two things that you could ask God for, I don't know what those two things would be. They'd probably be different for each one of us, depending what areas in our life we're lacking the most. Um, we would probably be tempted to ask God for some things that we shouldn't ask him for. But two of the things that he asked for are probably not the first two things that would come to my mind if I was asking God for two things. But let's see what those are in verses 7 to 9. It says, Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God, the name of my God in vain. And so there's two things that he's asking God for here. And the two things are simply basically honesty and a simple lifestyle and again those things aren't necessarily things that we wish for in our natural in our flesh but there are two things that he realizes that with them he can serve God better when he can live a life of of complete authenticity being honest about who he truly is and also live a life that's simplicity that's filled with simplicity and contentment um, not somebody that's too rich or too poor, just somewhere in, in the between that his needs are met, but yet that his, the things that he has don't draw him away from God. And so I think those are, that's a very good lesson for us as we think about living a lifestyle that's real and authentic, is that's what it needs to be based on, is not something that's deceit and not something that's not true, but something that really is truly who we are. And so his request basically boiled down to help me live honestly and simply, so I can serve you better, serve God better. And that's, I think, one of the best antidotes we have we can look at for getting caught up in our social, in our selfie world today. Uh, You know, he asked that he wouldn't be so focused on his poverty that he would have to be obsessed with getting enough food to eat, but also that he wouldn't have so much stuff that he would be drawn away by his riches. And I think that's a good question for each of us to ask. You know, when I, and myself included, when I let people observe my life, whether it's online or offline and in the real world, do I try to make sure it's shaped to present a certain image that's not really who I am and what I have? Or am I willing to let people see me for who I truly am, Uh, even if it doesn't, if it's not perfect and it's not quite the, the lifestyle that I would like everybody to think that I have? I think that if, if we think about why we're tempted to post deceptive things about ourselves online or things that are image crafting about ourselves, we often, I think at the base of that is that we're trying to project a certain image of ourselves that's based on the idea that my worth comes from materialism. Uh, when you post, when I post, if I do that, uh, pictures of my, my vehicle, which... Uh, that's not a problem if you saw my vehicle or heard it this evening too, as some of you did. Um, but if you, you know, if that's, if that's what gives you value, if it was your, your exotic vacation that gives you value, if it's your house remodel that gives you value, all of those things, if that's what you're trying to project to other people, that proves that at the base of what you see as value is that your things are what you think makes people impressed by you. And that's so easy for us to fall into that trap of feeling like our worth comes from the things that we have because that's pounded into us all day long by advertising and all the, the, the things out there that want us to believe that. But again, being people that are, that are content and willing to live simple and not have to present those things frees our life up to serve God and helps us to be people that are humble. So I think that we're all, I, I certainly am, am susceptible to try to make myself look a certain way to image crafting and when we're tempted to do that, I think that we need to ask God, like Agar did here, I need, give me more honesty and give me more simplicity in my life. That way, when, that our, when we get tempted to focus on the wrong things, we can be drawn back to seeing what's truly important and not presenting a false image of what that we want other people to see. The second thing that we see here is humility in our conversation, uh, discernment. Proverbs 12.23 says, A prudent man concealeth knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaimeth foolishness. And Proverbs speaks a lot about the fool. Uh, You probably all can think of different verses that it talks about in Proverbs about the fool. And often it kind of describes the fool as a loud and ignorant person. Uh, There's different aspects of it. But another one place in Proverbs it says, How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? And I think that one of the areas that we're tempted with in our world today is in the area of information. Uh, We have so much information coming at us and so many different sources that it's tempting, we're tempted often to feel like, you know, we can be experts at just about anything if we do research on the internet and, and figure things out. And there's a lot of people that seem to have kind of taken that into their their own lives and feel like they are experts at just about everything and about every subject and it's very important that people understand that and hear their expertise about these things as well and that's that's kind of the definition of the fool in proverbs is somebody that always thinks they know everything and wants to make sure that everybody else knows it as well when they actually when it's pretty obvious they actually don't but they don't they don't see that and that's that's one of the definitions that you see as you look at different different examples in Proverbs here. So Proverbs, Solomon was very aware of this issue back, back 3,000, 4,000 years ago, and it's nothing new, and living humbly means that I don't need to give my opinion about every subject. Uh, that's something that I think is, again, a challenge for us in our world today. We're constantly tempted or told that we need to share our opinions, we need to you know, express ourselves, and we need to make sure that everybody knows how we believe about things and if we're talking about sharing the Lord with other people that's good but often it's not necessarily that that we're so we feel that is so important to share that we feel tempted to share about and I guess for myself I have to keep in mind that I don't always need to have a comment or an opinion about every cultural and political happening and I think that in our world today that's often a temptation is it feels like you know, we have all these things coming at us, all these things that we see in the news, and, and we kind of feel like we need to know and have an opinion about everything that happens. And as a challenge to myself, I think I need to remember that I don't always need to be the first one to jump into a conversation when somebody asks for an opinion about something. As a Christian, I think we should have good reasons to believe why we believe uh, on a certain subject. But I don't need to also feel threatened when somebody opposes my views as well. If somebody has a differing opinion about something that is not clearly a scriptural teaching, I don't need to be feel threatened or feel, get defensive if that's erred. Um, I can listen to them and try to understand them. I don't feel like I need to squash that opinion or defeat them. But that's a, that's a little bit of a subject we'll look at uh, in the third point there too. And I think the becoming to keep from becoming the fool, as it's talked about in Proverbs, there are several things that we need to strive for. Proverbs 14, 15 says, The simple believe every word, but prudent, the prudent man looketh well to his goings. The, another version of the ESV says, Fools believe every word they hear, but wise people think carefully about everything. And I think that's important as we're Christians in a the, in the selfie world in the 21st century here. We have lots and lots of information coming at us. And that means that we have a lot of discernment that's needed as we process all these different different things that are coming at us, all this information. And it seems like there's more and more an increasing rise in in misinformation and conspiracy theories and people believing that and Christians actively promoting it. And I think that's that's alarming because it's showing that truth is being eroded. People, I think, tend to believe conspiracy theories when they don't know what to believe. Um, And so... Truth is, is there is truth out there, and you can find it, but sometimes it's it's hard to know what it is, and so it's easy to throw up our hands and just say, well, I'll just decide what is truth, and often what gets decided is things like conspiracy theories and, and things that are not based on truth, um, and often the people pushing that are the loudest and the most sensational people. It's a, conspiracy theories and misinformation and things like that are often very exciting. We kind of They appeal to our to to us because often the truth is more boring than what people make up. And so it's very tempting to believe those things. But there's a few things as we think about perception, maybe some challenges to our perception as Christians that we should be aware of. And one of those things is confirmation bias. And probably most of you are familiar with this word, but or this term, but it refers to the tendency to look for information that only confirms what we believe and to only accept facts that strengthen our preferred explanation, and to dismiss data that challenges what we already accept as truth. So to give an example of this, if, you are, if you've heard that drivers in Boston are bad drivers, you're thinking about that and you go up to Boston and you start driving around, the chances are every rude Boston driver that you meet is going to, is going to be a person that you're gonna say, yep, that proves that uh, all Boston drivers are rude, and you won't notice that probably 95% of drivers that just drove by you normally without being rude. But because that thought was lodged in your mind, you're looking for those things, and those are the things that stick out, and often we then discard all the other ones that that didn't prove that point, and say, well, that proves the point. All, the, all dr- drivers in Boston are rude drivers. According to one study, Houston is actually the worst city for rude drivers, and Boston was fifth, so that's according to insurance claims, I think they calculated that. But So they are rude, but maybe not the rudest drivers. And that's something that we should all keep in mind, that we are very susceptible to confirmation bias, and humility helps us to acknowledge that we, we have these tendencies, that we as humans are not perfect in our thinking, and that we have different things that we are often tempted to be led astray in. And I think that if we're thinking about how we process information as people that are humble, we're willing to say, yes, I could be led astray. And so I need to be, be aware of that and be aware that um, I shouldn't get all my truth on, especially on social and political subjects, which maybe it's best if we just stay away from that. But I'm sure we all, had, we're all somewhat uh, going to get that influence in our lives I think it's, it's good to intentionally get our news and information from multiple sources. Don't just go to the place that feeds what you already believe, but go to some sources that are biased against what you believe, and probably somewhere in the middle is where you're going to find the truth about subjects like the news and political and social subjects like that. Again, I'm not saying to do that when it comes to biblical truth and things like that. That's, that's there and that's clear, but... Uh, thinking about how we get our information otherwise and what can make us biased. Another area is discernment with sources. We should respect people with experience and expertise. And that's not to say they're always right. Uh, People that are experts or that have expertise in a field can be wrong and often are wrong. But I think that if you can relate in your own life to doing research on a subject on the internet versus talking to somebody who is in a certain field, Uh, For instance, if I am trying to fix my dishwasher, I I know there's a problem, it doesn't do something right, and so I start to fix it. So I go online and go on YouTube and uh, put in the problem that I'm having, and soon I find a hundred different people saying how I can fix this problem uh, multiple ways. I can also go to a person that's an appliance repair person and ask, say, this is my problem, what should I do? And they'll often just say, oh, you need to do this and this and this, and oh, did you think about this, too? and it was all stuff I hadn't even thought about, even though I had done research on the internet. Uh, Online research is no match for people that are experienced in their field and that know what they're doing. But it's very easy to feel like if I did my research on the internet then I know more than other people about this. Uh, That's That we're tempted to do that, and I think that's often our pride coming through in that way that we kind of want to be the the source of information and we want to believe that what we believe is correct so if we're going to sort properly discern and sort through all the information that's coming at us um, humility is very essential as we do that we we certainly all like to feel unique and like we have special knowledge that other people are missing yet i think if we're honest that often comes from a sense of pride and from feelings that we have superior information that other people don't have I think that's one of the appeals of conspiracy theories um, is that it's you know information that other people don't possess. I think that we're, as people of humility, we will confess that there's many things that we just don't know. We can't know for absolute certainty and we have enough humility to listen to what other people that know about the subject have to say about it. One quote, I forget which book it was I read this in, but he said, America has become a nation of self-proclaimed sages anyone with access to Google or even information received from a trustworthy friend feels confident challenging the experts. And professors and teachers talk about students that uh, feel very free to challenge them even though they've been studied on a subject for many, many years. Uh, Their students come into the classroom and feel like it's wrong for the teacher to challenge them even when when they're saying something that's completely wrong. Uh, There's different examples of that, but I won't, I won't get into that, but just another symptom of that That same problem. But I think that as Christians, we should be people that stand out as different from the loud opinions of people with shallow knowledge about things. We should be people that insist on truth, um, not just the most exciting version of what we want to believe. And I think that that's, that is a temptation for us, um, is that often... False narratives fit into what we already want to believe, and so they're very tempting for us to say, well, that's the truth because actually that's just what I want to hear, when the truth is often not as exciting, but it's still the truth. Charles Spurgeon said, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It is knowing the difference between right and almost right. And I think that's a good quote, that things that are black and white are black and white. It's the things that are white and almost and just a little bit gray Is where it starts to require a lot of discernment and and godly wisdom to figure those things out. Part of discernment is also knowing when to speak up and when to be quiet. On social media, you know, we're constantly tempted to share our opinion and there's a there's an agenda behind that. Uh, Social media wants to get get more people on their site because in the end it makes more money for them. And But if our sharing on a subject that's political or social especially doesn't point to kingdom of God principles, then it's probably best that we are just quiet about it. Um, When I see Mennonites talking about things like supporting second amendment rights while they say they're non-resistant, I think it'd be better if we were just quiet. Um, When we say we love our neighbors as ourselves, then we post racist and anti-immigration things online, I think it's better if we would just be quiet about that. You know, what we post on social media should not point out how good our own opinion on something is, but it should point people to the source of true wisdom, and that's found right here in the Bible. And so a question I think I need to ask myself, too, is when I talk to people, when I post online, am I demonstrating earthly wisdom or pointing people to wisdom that's from above? And I think that's especially where this subject of discernment uh, really becomes important because it it affects our witness to our neighbors and the people that may follow us on social media and that that we run into in our everyday lives. Third point is humility and counsel being a person that's teachable and it says a wise man will hear and will increase learning and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. I think today we're tempted to get less of other people's opinions in our churches and communities because we can so easily get information on the internet. Um, why talk to somebody in my church about something when I can just in a, in a couple seconds be online and find all the information I want to about a subject? And again, that is that is really handy. I'm, I don't want to downplay that. That's nice to be able to do that. But it can kind of give us the feeling that we don't really need other people, that we can get our information and uh, I don't. I don't need to rely on people, but I think that means that more than ever, the local church is so important for us as Christians. Um, Romans twelve three. We all know that those verses, but it says, "For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office." So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. I think those verses so clearly point to the to the importance of believers working together to sort out truth. That as we as we come together and we discuss things and we sharpen each other, uh, we become much more discerning, and we become, if we're willing to be t- somebody that's teachable, we're willing to hear those other opinions, and it gives us a much more rounded viewpoint on things and points us to truth in a much better way than if we just are finding information and doing things on our own one other aspect of that is that we might not think about is just the fact of sitting in church and listening to a sermon Um, is something that most people in our society today don't hardly ever do uh, where you just sit quietly for a period of time and listen to one person talk without giving any discussion and without having to give your personal input on it. Now, I'm not downplaying. I don't want to downplay personal input. There's, discussion is important. But just the, the discipline of sitting together in quietness and listening to one person is good for us, I think, in our selfie world today. Uh, that, it, that it makes us just, it's a good discipline for us um, as we think about how we process information, uh, especially when we think about all the confusing sources coming at us just being able to sit together and listen is something that's important uh, in the church service. There's more that could be said about that, but my time's moving on here. The another point, the fourth point is humility and listening. It says in uh, verse uh, six or seven, "There a wise man will hear and will increase in learning." And today's culture, I think you would probably agree, is a culture of outrage. Um, you see so many people that are angry and On social media, you see people constantly promoting things that are designed to stir up outrage in other people and different subjects, whichever side of politics you're on. And you see headlines that are constantly using terms like somebody slams or rips or shreds or blows up somebody else. And often the most popular people are the people that are the best at doing that. Uh, They're the ones that seem to get the the most listens and the most clicks. And... It's very easy, Uh, they're kind of rated by how good they can destroy other people, other opponents, political opponents, or whatever. And I think that's one of the primary symptoms we looked at earlier about the symptoms of a narcissist is somebody that uh, is is not is willing, thinks that if somebody challenges them, they need to be defeated. Uh, That's one of the symptoms of a narcissist. And I think that's one of the most dangerous aspects of political talk radio, too, even more detrimental maybe than the political influences that we're being uh, taught when we listen to talk radio, political talk radio, is just the general attitude of arrogance that often goes with that. Um, that anybody that disagrees with me is just uh, basically a complete idiot. Um, I have all the wisdom, and if you don't see things as I see them because of my whether I'm left or right, uh, the other side is just completely you know, without a clue. And I'm completely right. And that attitude is just, is just promoted. And I think that if that's what we listen to day in and day out, there's no way that's not going to affect our attitude towards people that we don't agree with. Um, if that's what I'm constantly listening to and being fed that this, these, this group of people is just completely, you know, basically brain dead and, and idiotic, after a while, it's going to be hard for me not to sort of believe that that's true um, and think that, well, maybe you know these people... Yeah, they're they're pretty much the enemy. And I think that humility is just the very opposite of that. Uh, somebody that's humble is somebody that's willing to um, practice forbearance, uh, which is the biblical word that I think is maybe best describes this, this whole term of listening. It's not a word that we use a lot anymore, but it's, it has the idea of enduring with other people or bearing, bearing their weight out as our own out of love is another term for that. There's a lot of verses that talk about that, but uh, Paul in Romans 15 says we have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Um, that again is the idea of forbearance. In Second Samuel 16:9 to 13, we have the story of how David. Um, there was a man that was walking alongside the road as him and his, as his troops were walking along the road, and he was throwing stones at him, and cursing him, cursing David, and finally one of the soldiers basically said. David, let me go up and cut his head off uh, and so that he'll be quiet, and, which would have effectively silenced him, I guess. But um, David said, no, don't, don't do that. He said, what if, what, he's, what if that criticism is coming from God? Um, let, him, let him say what he has to say, even though it, was, it says that he was walking, uh, in the, the text here, I think it says that he, was, he walked along and was cursing and throwing stones and dust at him. And so, again, I don't know how you would feel about that if you had a person that was walking uh, on a hill on top beside you throwing dirt and stones down at you and cursing you. It would be pretty hard not to to just let that go and say, well, maybe maybe what he's saying is something I should be learning from. But David did that, and I think that was a, a certainly an example of humility in David's life. David wasn't perfect, but in a lot of ways... Um, he did, he, did uh, he was a man after God's own heart and I think that was one of the ways that he was like that there's there's certainly more that could be said about this subject as well but I think I'll just move along here And there was uh, one example that I thought about sharing here but the example of Dan Cathy maybe I'll just quickly summarize that in one of the books I read he was talking about how he uh, Dan Cathy is the CEO of Chick-fil-A and there was a gay group that was, that was really protesting against Chick-fil-A because they, Dan Cathy believes in a, a man and woman uh, marriage, uh, one man and one woman. And so they were, they were insisting that he was anti-gay and having protests and things against Chick-fil-A. And finally he said, well, he wasn't sure what to do. And so finally he said, what he's going to do is he's going to call this guy up and ask if they can meet and talk. Um, rather than maybe just throw his own counter protest or something, and they did that, and they had a hour long couple hour long conversation and both said their viewpoints and neither of them changed their mind, but they met a couple more times, talked about their differences and eventually the the protest group dropped their their activism against them and uh, they were able to actually i think uh, if if in my reading right here the Oh, yeah, it says he eventually invited Windmeyer, which was the the gay person on the campus. Pride was the group. He invited him to be his personal guest at the Chick-fil-A Bowl on New Year's Eve 2012. And so they sat together at that, and both of them received criticism for that from both their sides. But it, it was a good example of people that were willing to listen to each other. Neither of them changed their mind necessarily, but they both came to a much better conclusion by just stopping and listening to each other and, and being willing to do that. And that took some humility for Dane, Kathy, as the CEO, to reach out first. And I think that's, our, that's an example, too, for us as Christians, is we should be the ones that reach out first in those situations where there's, where there's people that disagree with us. Uh, and that's not easy to do. Again, humility is, is key in those, th- in those times. Some things that can hinder us when disagreeing, and I got these from a a Viewpoints article that just came out from a group that has been publishing some pretty good articles, and I think they're mostly geared towards pastors, but they're certainly available for anybody to read. Uh, It's a group of Mennonite men that have wrote that, but they came out with one recently, maybe some of you read it, about talking with each other, um, how we talk to each other as Christians when we disagree. And they mentioned some things that hinder us when disagreeing, one of the first things they mentioned is sarcasm, which is uh, something that is basically a type of scorn or a type of contempt. Um, the root of sarcasm is scorn and contentment, and the root of scorn and contentment is pride, is the feeling like we know better than the other side, and so we often use sarcasm to downplay or ridicule the other side in a, in a subject. And that's that's one of the things that really can hinder us when, when we're trying when we're trying to appeal to people that may have differing opinions in us, also attacking other people's characters is another thing that that is very easy to do, and is something that certainly is not helpful. when we, when uh, they use the example that you know you say something, somebody disagrees with you, and then the other side jumps to, well, you must not believe the Bible then, and you know that's an attack, and it's not going to help people to get along with each other. There's certainly other aspects of that too, but just to move along here some questions to ask when talking about differences is have i clearly understood what the other person is saying in other words have i actually listened to what they're saying or am i always thinking one step ahead so that i can defeat their argument uh, that's very easy to do and not to truly listen to what they're actually saying another thing is another question we can ask is are we both right especially when we're two christians are disagreeing on something maybe we're both right about it uh, maybe there's two sides to this truth, and we don't both have to be, there doesn't have to be one side that's right and one side that's wrong. Now, the culture of outrage hates that idea because they, they always like to act like there's one side that's right and one side that's wrong, and uh, that's often how they, how they get people fired up about stuff. But as Christians, we, we can realize that sometimes there's, there's different angles to look at them, and both of them can be right. Uh, they don't have to always be one or the other. <coughs> Another thing is, does it even matter? Uh, When we're disagreeing about something, is it worth losing a relationship or a friend over, or is it something that, as a person of humility, I can just say, you know what, I'm willing to just lose this argument and step back and keep somebody as a friend or win them for Christ versus winning the argument. Uh, And again, that takes humility, but often it's much better for us in the end. In the end, it's really about how can I best glorify Jesus, and you know as followers of God as followers of Jesus we we certainly want to care about the positions that we believe in we want to have you know roots that and a foundation for what we believe but the question is not so much who is right but what does Jesus want us to do and I think that's that's the choice for us that's important as we think about this it's not about winning the argument Um, that's what we're tempted to do from our pride but what's really important is that we that we draw people to Christ and point them to what he looks like instead. In summary, there's a lot of Christians who model this humility in their life offline and online, and I'm sure that when you think about humility, you probably picture, maybe you picture a certain person or you think of a certain individual, but you probably have kind of an idea in your mind of what humility looks like as it's lived out. And there's lots of people people that write online blog writers different things there are a lot of people online that do show this so I don't want to just be negative and say this is all bad Uh, we can see a lot of good examples of that and one quote that I thought was really good it said uh, you know first of all talking about don't excuse yourself if you don't use social media but the quote was if we want to be humble through social media we need to be humble before social media and that that's the idea of If we're Christians that live a life of humility in our everyday lives, that will come through in every aspect of our lives, including social media. So the questions in closing here, am I a person who exhibits the characteristics of humility in a selfie world? Am I living honesty out in both my life offline and online? Am I authentic and am I a person that lives simply? Am I practicing wisdom and discernment in the way that I process information? Am I a person that's teachable, um, that can hear other opinions and learn from them rather than needing to voice my own opinion? And am I ready to listen rather than to be the first one to speak? I think if if we can answer those affirmatively, we will certainly stand out as powerful witnesses in our selfie world. So this time I'll close and uh, why don't we just bow our heads for a word of prayer here. Dear God, we come before you this evening and we are thankful for your many blessings to us. We just pray that you would be with us as we think about the challenges of humility in a world that is filled with self and pride, and we just ask that you would help us to live out people that are humble and that follow you and that point other people to you in the way that we live. We ask that your spirit would be with us and that you would guide us as we live this out in our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.